Thanks for listening to audio from North Monroe. To learn more about who we are, visit northmonroe.com or download the North Monroe app in the App Store or on Google Play. Now, here's this week's message. Good morning, everybody. It's good to be here today. You guys look awesome. I did not know this was going to happen today. The baseball team has turned out. It's good to see you guys and uh, just to be here together in this place, isn't it? God is good. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this time. And I pray that everything that's said would be from your throne. Um, I pray that I would decrease and you would increase and those things that need to be heard would be heard through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Every year at this time, I give a state of the church talk, just kind of a word of encouragement to kind of let you know where God is working and what he's doing. You know, in the 1930s, Nietzsche said, God is dead. And then there was this headline in Time magazine, God is dead. And I want to say, well, the, the rumors of his death have been greatly overreported because God is alive and well. And you see it right here in white t-shirts and blue shirts, red shirts, green shirts, all over this congregation, God is alive. Now, that doesn't mean that this has been an easy year. And I want to talk about our year, but I want to talk about not just what we've been through, what we've seen God do, but also where we see God moving and where we see God working, okay? It's been a tough year. I think about the words of Thomas Paine, December 23rd, 1776. He said, these are the times that try men's souls. And you and I both know that these have been trying times. But you know what Payne also said? He said, what we obtain too cheaply, we esteem too lightly. It is dearness only that gives everything its value. And in some ways, going through what we've gone through since 2020 has made us so aware of of the beauty of God and the power of God in our midst. And yet there have been challenges. I don't know of a time as a pastor that I've seen the church more challenged than it is today. And in many cases, the churches are struggling and they're in trouble and they're hurting, uh, not just because of the pandemic. But con- consider the challenges. I mean, you've got the cultural and political unrest and that cultural and political unrest finds its way from out there to in here. And it's almost as if the fissures that have been started through the earthquake that's been going on in our society are somehow finding their way into the bedrock of the church. We have been blessed here that that has not been the case. But there's many churches that are being torn apart by that political division that you see in culture. Why isn't it here? Because we are not of that kingdom. And that's not going to be what happens here. This is not our kingdom. We're vagrants and vagabonds passing through. Our kingdom is different. But the other thing, obviously, is the pandemic. And you've seen shutdowns and online worship, smaller crowds. And all of this is affecting us in serious ways. It's affecting spiritual leaders. Um, I've got to tell you, a recent Barna study reported that 38% or two out of every five pastors in our country have considered stepping down from ministry in 2021. That's staggering, especially in light of the fact that so few guys are going into ministry these days. And there's been such a brain drain. You think, what would we do if we lost those guys? Who's going to lead the charge? Who's going to shepherd the flock? But it's, it's a real problem, and it's a staggering problem. It affects spiritual leaders. It affects church members. I mean, you are the church, right? 
And I guess if I want to do a state of the church, I should ask myself, what state are you in? Because we are the body. You know, we are the church. So how are you doing? Here's what I hear from people. I'm frustrated. I'm tired, worried, lonely, anxious, uncertain, empty, stuck. Did I mention tired, mad, tired, exhausted, tired? They're mostly tired. And that has a direct impact on your willingness to pursue the will of God for your life. Somebody comes along and says, hey, I need you to serve here. I need you to do that. And you're like, man, I'm just tired. I don't want to take on anymore. I don't want to do anymore. And there is this collective weight that occurs as the consequence of all of the uncertainty in our world, all of the division, all of the, for lack of a better way of saying it, unhappiness. And it just is fatiguing. And so we grow tired. So where does all this take us as a church? Where are we? What are the challenges? Where do we see ourselves going? 2022 state of the church. I want to say to you that God is alive and He's alive and well in this church. And He is working in the lives of people. Four guys this morning, powerful retreat. Corey came in and sat down with me and started walking me through what happened at the retreat. Unbelievable to see the baseball team here today like this. And you know what I keep hearing? The coaches were awesome. Unbelievable. And the softball team. Hey, how many softballers are here today? Where are you guys? There's some back here. There were some in the first one. Softball team. God's working among the softball team in powerful ways. And it's fun to see. You know, we may just, this may, we may become the sporting church. I don't know. I know it's because I'm so athletic. (laughs) Why'd you laugh? So where are we? Let's start with the obvious metric, uh, numbers, numbers that matter. Someone said it shouldn't be about numbers. God doesn't care about numbers. And here's what I always say. If God doesn't care about numbers, then why is there a book in the Bible called Numbers? I think numbers aren't the only metric that we should ever look at, but numbers matter, and here's why they, they matter for two reasons. First, every number is a person and every person matters. The reason we count is because people count. So we count people because people count. And if you're missing, then it's not a number that's missing. It's a human being that's missing. So if we talk about a year where we're missing 250 people, that's a staggering loss. What did Jesus say? He said, if I've got 100 sheep and I lose one, what happens? I leave the 99 and I go find the one. And so we've got to count to know how many sheep we are so we'll know when the sheep are missing. But secondly, it also says something about our priorities. You see, the fact that you're here, you're engaged, you're involved. If we talk about how many people are involved in a ministry, how many people are involved in serving, how many people are involved in attendance, what that's saying is there's a commitment because it takes commitment. It takes a commitment to get up this morning and come here to church. I mean, we had the threat of rain, right? In Baptist churches, that typically clears the flock out. That separates the sheep from the goats, right? It takes about what, seven, eight hundred gallons of water to get a, a Baptist into church and three drops to keep him out. Right, But there's a commitment involved in attending. There's a commitment involved in serving at every level. And so numbers matter because they also reveal what's going on in your heart. And so what did our attendance look like? To get a really clear picture of this, we got to go back and look at where we were pre-COVID, post-COVID. And the answer is the year started out, post-COVID year, about 47% in attendance 
versus 2019, which was pre-COVID. That means that we were missing about 1,050 people in January of, this, of last year. By the end of the year, ups and downs, the, the percentage would change according to, you know, Delta variant, Omicron variant. You know, why do, why do doctors name everything after Greek and Latin? A Delta is a Greek D. Why don't they just say the D variant or the O variant, you know? And if there's a D variant, then what was A, B, and C variant? And if there's now an O variant, what happened to E, F, G, H, I, J, K, and L? In fact, in the Greek alphabet, there's 11 letters between the D and the Omicron. And I'm like, does that mean there's been 11 variants? And now there's a new one called the Delta Omicron. What in the world? And that affects people. You know, it's like, do I go out? Do I come back? Do I, what do I do? But at the end of the year in attendance, we, uh, we're back up around 87% of pre-COVID. And obviously that's not where we want to be because that's about... 250, 300 people that aren't here that matter to us. Um, but truthfully, that's better than most. A lot of churches are about 50%. In fact, I was talking to a, a pastor of a large church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and he said they used to run 2,300, and now, they, now they're running 900. And that's true across the board. Across the board, it's about 50 to 60%. And uh, so that's where we are, about 87%. About 250 watching online right now. Glad you guys are with us this morning, worshiping with us online. And uh, it's not where we want to be, but we're okay. Finances. It's the craziest thing. COVID has had no noticeable effect in terms of finances for the church. Even with the drop in attendance, our giving has continued to increase. In fact, every year, 2020, it increased over 2019. 2021, it increased. In fact, this year, giving exceeded budget by $190,000. That's what you guys gave. Unbelievable. And that doesn't include an additional $350,000 you gave to the building fund and all of these ministries and missions around the world we're about to talk about that you have funded just out of your faithfulness. So it's really an extraordinary thing that even with fewer people here, the, the, the ministry outreach of the church is actually growing because of your faithfulness. Okay, so bodies and budgets are not the church, right? I get that. Numbers matter, but they're far from the only thing that matters. So let's talk about what really matters, okay? Ministries that matter. North Monroe is a church that believes in ministry, and I love that. And serving. You know, all summer long this last summer, we talked about serving, and we did this fun thing called Serves Up, you know, to try to make summer a little bit different and compare it to, to Surfs Up. And if you didn't get the metaphor, you know, it, it, that's what it was. <laughs> and at the end of the summer, after we introduced you to all these opportunities, through the, and by the way, when I'm talking about serving, I can't talk about every individual that's involved and engaged in some form of ministry here locally because different life groups are serving, individuals are serving. I get all that. So let's talk about what the church did. At the end of the summer, we said, let's feed the community. So we got a thousand boxes and each box would feed 10 people. So we gave away 10,000 meals at the end of the summer just in serving, just giving away, and, and what an incredible thing that was. One of the things we don't talk about much is we took care of the poor. We had a guy come to, to us with a check for $100,000, and he said, look, I don't want this check to go to, uh, to buildings. I don't want it to go to programs. I want it to go straight to people, only to people. Can you make sure that happens? So he said, yeah, we can make sure that happens. And so we gave away 120 
plus thousand dollars last year just paying for light bills, helping people that were hungry, uh, famine relief in Rwanda, helping with people in uh, Myanmar who are under the genocide there. All different kinds of opportunities just, just to feed people and help people. We have this new ministry called the 2.5 Plus Ministry. Wendy started it. I have no idea what 2.5 Plus means. But what they did was they took one of the closets in the church, one of the old offices in the church, they cleaned it out, and they filled it up with baby stuff, baby baby beds, baby clothes, baby stuff for babies. And it's a ministry to uh, adoptive and foster families who are bringing these kids in who need all of this stuff. And to date, they've helped 91 kids and 51 families uh, giving away baby beds, cribs, whatever. Just serving the community. The deacons did a golf tournament, took up $20,000 for the widows and single moms. They've been doing all kinds of projects, helping put in sidewalks and lawns and wheelchair ramps and fixed roofs and faucets. And uh, I I know I personally was called in on a faucet repair uh, from my sons who are deacons. And they're like, hey, dad, can you help us get this faucet out? I thought we were never going to get it out. Next time we're calling a plumber. But, uh, and then they had their widows and deacons banquet, and they treated 100 widows and single moms. Um, and then in missions, let me tell you about what happened in missions. And I don't want this to become a blur. Joey Young, is our, he's our uh, missions pastor. He does it for free. He's not paid by the church, but he does it. And last year, COVID had sidetracked a lot of their projects, but here's what they did. They, Honduras, they went three trips to Honduras. 36 surrendered to Christ. 30 were baptized. Dominican Republic, they took three trips to the Dominican last year, helped plant a church. Paraguay, five new church plants. In Paraguay, 1,000 were baptized. 65 new churches Uganda, 1,006 were baptized. In Burundi, 965 were baptized, and they started 193 new house churches. In Rwanda, through a fundraiser, we provided support for 45 orphans. There is a famine in Rwanda due to, I think, uh, a locust plague of all things, biblical kind of stuff, and they had people starving, and, and it was particularly hard on some of the Christians because they were sort of last in line to receive the aid, and 45 Five orphans had moved in with this pastor family there, and through uh, through your compassion, like a Compassion International kind of thing, you adopted those forty five kids and made sure that they had what they needed for the year. Our church ran, reached out to that, and eight hundred and sixty seven people in Rwanda prayed to receive Christ. Four thousand four hundred. And 36 joined house churches in Rwanda, India, and Mozambique. We sent money to help relieve hunger there. Rwanda, Burundi, and Bugandi. We translated the Romans into Key Rwanda, Key Burundi, and Lugandan. And, and the cool thing is, in Paraguay, we translated Romans into Spanish. They have translated uh, the Ephesian study. So when I preach the sermons on Sunday, they'll take those, translate them into those languages, then they go and train those pastors, particularly in Romans and Ephesians. And so we've got these translations of Swahili, Ephesians, uh, and I ran into some people from uh, East Africa, from Kenya and and, uh, uh, Rwanda, uh, Buganda and Burundi and and, uh, Tanzania. And when I run into them and they find out who I am, they go, you're Bill Dye? Ephesians? Ephesians? And I'm like, I'm like Rick Warren in East Africa, okay? (laughs) Don't, Don't mess with me. We haven't figured out how to make any money off of it, but hey, I'm big in East Africa. 
In Myanmar, we sold 70 dolls at $75 a piece uh, to set up a ministry in Honduras and Myanmar uh, for women for their sewing ministry so they could create a business. Um, Myanmar underwent a civil war and a military takeover, severe persecution, genocide in the Chen state. We raised $60,000 to help build a shelter for children, providing health and support. Fifteen children currently live there. Fifteen more are coming in. And in addition to that, we started 25 house churches in 10 different villages, 25 good news groups in 10 different villages. So here's the bottom line. Our church has directly involved in seeing 3,973 people come to Christ last year around the world. That's pretty cool, isn't it? And see, you didn't even know any of that. Truthfully, I don't even know any of this stuff. This stuff's going on, I'm like, hey, what have you guys been doing? And then they start to unpack it and tell me what they're doing. I'm like, wow, we did a lot. I didn't even know it. You know, the cool thing is, it's not dependent upon me. In fact, you guys don't need me. You've got a robust system of ministry and serving that is reaching people all over the world that's not dependent upon the pastor or the leader. That's as it should be. This isn't my church. And it'll go on without us, right? I didn't mention disaster relief in South Louisiana. We had a church down there that was in trouble. We took a team down there and helped them. Then there were the outdoor events. Praise in the parking lot was back. You know, and these events are sort of what I would call front yard events. They're they're just to allow people to kind of come and connect. We did an outdoor concert featuring Zach Williams and Kane. Uh, One of the cool things we did was we were approached by the softball team, and they said, hey, we'd like the church to do a praise on our softball field. So you baseball guys are just now catching up. The softball is way ahead of y'all. And they said, would y'all come do it? We're like, yeah, we'll come do it. Well, they were changing the lights out, so they moved it to the parking lot. And we went out there, and people pulled up in trucks, and we just pulled out chairs. And we did praise in the parking lot with the, with the softball team. And the softball team had bought a bunch of catfish dinners, and they were passing them out to everybody. And it was an awesome night. Uh, we did the outdoor extravaganza. And in group ministries, you got student ministry. They're running over 200 on a Wednesday night. You got kids ministry. This year we started kids' church. College ministry, got a brand new college ministry leader, Chris Craighead. You guys get behind him. Pray for him and Galen because they're trying to find a house. If anybody knows of a house, get with uh, uh, the staff and let us know. We're we're trying to help them find a house. Uh, Retreat ministry, man. You know, here's one of the things. I think I missed it. I did up in the numbers. We had 194 people join the church last year. Now, that's great, but that's lower than normal. We normally have between 250 and 300 people join the church every year, which is awesome. But of the 194 that joined, 100 of those were by baptism. That's the first time that I've ever, in the history of this church, we baptized 100 or more. How awesome is that? That's cool. And let me just say this when I talk about retreat ministry. A good bit of that, I would say 50% of that's coming out of the retreats. And you're not baptizing just little kids and, and high schoolers. We're baptizing grown men. And grown men and grown women are coming to faith in Christ because of that. And it's just extraordinary to see what's going on with that. And our, our retreat ministry is not just here, but it's all over the place, and they're helping other churches. Women's ministry, same thing in the retreats. Then they did the poor event. And I, had, I ran into a woman the other day, talked to me about how meaningful that was. And then the women's Christmas celebration and the men's ministry. I don't have time to go into all of that stuff, but God is using you guys. So where do we go from here? Let me offer a few things, and then we're done. First of all, we have to remember the mission. 
You see, when things get confusing, it's easy to lose track of what you're trying to do. And a lot of churches do that. They get off track. They think it's about, they think it's about a building or they think it's about a preferential program or they think it's about music or they think it's about you know, flowers or curtains or some other dumb thing. They think it's about the trappings. Let's remember what it's about. Let's go to Matthew 28, 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, in that statement, there are several participles, but there's only one command. What's the command? It's not go. That's a participle. It means while you're going. It's not baptize, that's while you're baptizing. It's not teaching while you're teaching. Those are all participles. The only command in that statement is make disciples. And the only calling of the church is to make disciples. That's our calling, that we reach into the lives of people and we help those people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ because we have nothing else to offer. Look, they're... If you think it's about entertainment, i got to tell you, there's better shows out there. If you think it's about socializing, there's probably better of that somewhere. But at the end of the day, this is the place where you come where your life is changed forever. And that's what we're about. So what does that mean when the world changes? Notice at the end of that, Jesus didn't say, here's how to do it. Go, therefore, and here's how to do it. No, he said, and lo, I'm with you always. Why? Because things are going to change, and the world's going to change, and that means methods have to change. The message never changes, but the method changes all the time. And so what worked last year may not work anymore. What didn't work last year may work now. We don't navigate by the rearview mirror and always try to do what's always been done. We didn't have any baseball retreats last year. We didn't even know about that. We didn't have any softball things on the parking lot. We didn't even come into our mind. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you, so I'm going to show you what you need to do when the time comes. Because here's the fact of the matter. The times have changed. COVID changed everything. So what are you going to do with the change? Here's what we got to do. We have to accept it. And accepting change is the hardest thing in the world. Somebody said, the only person that likes change is a wet baby. A 90-year-old guy was talking to a young man. He said, man, I bet you've seen a lot of change in your life. He said, I sure have, and I was against every one of them. It's so much easier to be against something than to figure out how to make something work. And we can just be against the. You know, when the automobile came out, they, they were against it. Made too much noise, scared the horses, too expensive, tended to break down. There were no paved roads to drive on. They got stuck in the mud. That thing's never going to last. That's what the experts all said. But aren't you glad right now you didn't invest in wagon wheels? And so we have to embrace the change. It's changed us. The truth is the change was already happening. In 2021, according to Gallup, he said said that for the first time ever, church membership dropped below 50% nationally among millennials. Only 36% identify with church. People have gone. They're not coming back. We have to accept that. 
Karen Neewolf produced an insightful article. He said, as churches reopened, the great return didn't happen. Admirably, most pastors kept hoping. If if they're not coming back now, you told yourself, then people will come back in the fall, after Christmas, when the mask mandate is lifted, when most people are vaccinated, after the summer break, when all the restrictions are lifted, once the kids are back in school full time. The great return to church has become the great realization, maybe they're not coming back right now. Not now, not tomorrow, not ever. So I'm just quit because church was a habit instead of a relationship. You can break a habit. It's much harder to break a relationship. We had one couple, one of our guys was talking to a couple said, when are y'all coming back? And they said, we're not coming back. We realized we just didn't miss it. They said that. At least they were honest. Some people aren't coming back because they're still worried about COVID. And I get that. And if that's your case, then please don't come back until you're comfortable. All right. And some people, other things have happened in their life and it's more convenient to do online and all of that stuff. So what do we do? Well, we got to adjust the strategy. We've got to recreate ourselves for the future. And here's, what, here's where I hear the Lord. Strengthen what remains. Strengthen what remains. Revelation 3.2, wake up and strengthen the things that remain, which were about to die. For I found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. I felt the need to drill down and pour into people to strengthen. That's why we started doing Romans. That's why we did a whole study on serving because I feel like we're dealing more with the core now than the perimeter. And so we strengthen what remains. I think we've got to get better at online worship. The fact of the matter is we're going to be dealing with a hybrid. Now we call our online group our online campus, and we have a dedicated person every week to deal with them and help them because being online is one thing, but being connected to the church is another. And so we want to connect our online uh, campus with the rest of the church. When something goes wrong, we want to help them with that. And we want that to grow better and stronger. But here's one of the things we have to consider. We have to consider how we're perceived. I don't know of a better way of saying this, but there was a day in America when church was a positive idea that you may not have gone there, you may not have agreed with everything they did, but you felt good about church and about church people. That day is no longer here. There's been a radical shift in our understanding of church, and we need to be careful with that. I want to be known for what Jesus was known for and nothing. What did Paul say? I purpose to preach nothing among you but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I don't want to be known for our politics. I don't want to be known for some extraneous stance. I want to be known for Jesus and who Jesus was, and I want their perception of North Monroe to be a perception of Jesus. And to the degree that we understand that is the degree that we put the example of Christ to this world. That's the only thing that matters. Because at the end of the day, our labels, our quirkiness, our programs, none of that should be an obstacle to a person coming to Christ. The only obstacle to a person coming to Christ should be the cross of Jesus. I think we need to create more opportunities. The pandemic has closed some doors, so let's open some windows. Cedar sinai experts say self-care connectedness are the keys to long-term resilience in the pandemic. We've known that for years. We're all about connectedness. We're all about belonging, forgiveness. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Now look at this, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as the day is drawing near. Here's what we need to remember. 
People are starving for relationships, not just peripheral relationships, but real, meaningful, helpful relationships. And people are reached through those relationships. How did you come to know Jesus? It's through relationships. Why are you here today? Relationships. Man, when I first came into the church, I grew up in a home that had a respect for the church and a respect for God, but not a personal relationship with Him. You get it? Like we would go to church two or three times a year, whether we needed to or not. You could count on on us on Christmas and Easter maybe. Okay? My identity was tied up in football. I thought it was all about football. I'm five, eleven and a half. And at the time, I weighed 200 pounds. I was convinced I was the next Walt Garrison for the Dallas Cowboys. No question about it. I had his number, 32. I was going to be a cowboy. I had no idea how impossible that was, but that was my identity. And then in high school, they told me I couldn't play any sports anymore. They had found some sort of heart, weird heart defect, and, and one of the symptoms was instant death. So they took me out of everything. I lost my identity. And at that day... You could identify with the cowboys and be a goat roper. You could identify with the ag, with the uh, the Votech guys and be a, a welder guy. You could be uh, you could you could identify with the smart kids and be a nerd, or you could be a freak. That's all we had. We had goat ropers, Votech, freaks, and nerds. So I became a freak. I didn't have a horse. I didn't know how to weld, and I wasn't a nerd. So I was a freak. And I began that descent into the darkness of, of all of that stuff. Drugs and alcohol and all of that. And I didn't like dating party girls. So my senior year, I ran into this really cute Christian girl and I started dating her. And she said, well, you know, if you want to go out on Sundays, you got to come to church. So I started coming to church. And when I came to church, the guys in the youth group resented me being there because they thought I was coming to make fun of them. They apologized to me later. They said, we thought you were, they knew who I was. They said, we thought you were coming just to make fun of us. But there were two dudes in the, in the youth group who said, we're going to risk it. And they developed a relationship with me. And those two guys began to pour into me. I, had, I, I sat and listened to sermons for nine months and was unaffected. But what really changed my life were those two guys. And they began to open the word to me and they began to share with me. One of them was a guy named Larry and Larry had gotten busted for pot when he was 14. And so he had had this radical conversion his sophomore year and we were all like, Scrone will be back, but Scrone never came back. And through those relationships, they began to build in me the idea that, hey, God's going to feel whatever's missing because there was something bad missing in me. And all of a sudden, I gave my life to Jesus. And you know what all my freak friends said? He said, die as a Jesus freak. And, and my best friend said, he'll be back. That was 42 years, not back yet. Because it, God used the relationship between these two dudes who cared enough about me to share their story with me. You know, isn't that what it's all about at the end of the day? It's, somebody said Christianity is this. It's one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. Because we're all hungry. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Anyone who eats me will never hunger again. Do you want to find the satisfaction that comes in Jesus? 
He'll change your life forever. I'm a satisfied customer. It's been 42 years. My life's been blessed in so many different ways. And those guys, I didn't walk away from them. They walked away from me. I tried to reach them and I'd go try to talk to them about Jesus. But if, if you're not partying, the party crowd doesn't want you around. It wasn't that I didn't want to be around them, so they didn't want to be around me. And a couple of them I was able to reach, but many of them I couldn't. But at the end of the day, you know, God changed my life and He changed the trajectory of my life. So today when I look back over the course of what He's done, my life has turned out so differently in so many ways. And that's exactly what God wants to do with you. And listen, that's exactly what God wants to do with your friend and your neighbor and your acquaintance and your coworker and your co-student and all of those people that He's put into your life because people are affected by relationships. If you want to help change people's lives, you've got to get close enough to have a relationship. And the last thing is expect great things. When God's preparing something big, He'll take His people through something hard. We've been through something hard. Expect big things. There's big things going on right now. And when God wants to do something big in your life, He's going to take you through something hard. Get ready for big things. I think of Gideon. Gideon had all these Midianites that came against him. So he sent the word out, we need an army in Israel. 32,000 men showed up. God said, that's too many. Judges 7-2. He said, if you do it, you'll say, I did it and I didn't need God. He said, so here's what we do. Tell all the guys that are afraid to go home. 22,000 went home. If I'm Gideon as a leader, I'm like, "Twenty, God, we don't have enough. He said, no, you still got too many. You left with 10,000. Here's what I want you to do. Take the guys down to the water, bend over. The guys that stick their head in the water and drink, you don't want those guys. You want the guys that get it in their hand and they pick it up and they lap it like a dog. What's the difference? Well, a guy sticks his head in the water, he ain't thinking about anything but drinking. The other guy, he's wary and cagey and he's probably better suited for what you're about to do. And when that happens, you know how many of that 10,000 lap the water like a dog? 300 If I'm Gideon, I'm losing my mind. I'm about to go against this massive army with 300. God says, that's the perfect number. Judges 7, 7. With these 300, I will rescue you and give you the victory. When God wanted to change the world, Jesus had 5,000 men following him. 5,000 men. He fed 5,000 with five loaves and two feet. That was the men, not the women and the children too, probably closer to 15,000. But when he wanted to change the world, he reduced that 15,000 down to 12. He said, now you're ready. Now I got a number I can work with. When God wants to do something big, he'll take his people through something hard because it refines us and it reduces us and it gets us ready. And I think God's ready to do something big, don't you? So get ready. The hard things you go through, they're to prepare you for the good things God's got for you. Are you ready? Well, I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for where you have brought us. The division in our culture has had a ripple effect through our churches. Thank you that you've protected us from that. We don't want any part of that. That's not our kingdom. But Father, this COVID thing has hurt us. It's shrunk us. We've lost some friends. And we're not giving up on them. We're going to go get them. 
But Father, we know that you want us to strengthen what remains. So we embrace this new normal. We're going to be careful to know Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Help us in this time of refining to get rid of all the stuff that's not necessary and remember that it's relationships that reach people. God, there are people here right now that are here because of a relationship. Some of these guys that went through this retreat this weekend, they're ready to give their life fully to You because somebody cared enough to tell them where the bread was. And so I just pray that You would have victory in this moment. I pray that every heart would be open to the power of the gospel. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23 says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we thank you for eternal life that comes through Christ. Let that be felt in every life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that this message has encouraged you to seek Christ in your own life and make Him known wherever you are. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and share it with a friend. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.